This is a WKYT podcast. Good morning from WKYT News, and we welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers. I'm Bill Bryant. As we close out the year, lawmakers are getting ready to come to Frankfort for the 60-day regular session of the General Assembly. Senate President Robert Stivers is here with us today. It'll be an interesting session. Republicans hold super majorities in both the House and the Senate, and Democratic Governor Andy Beshear is now in charge of the executive branch. In that delicate balance, lawmakers will try to work out a state budget for the next two years in a commonwealth where many say there are more needs than revenue. Even in a thriving national economy, Kentucky's revenue hasn't budged much with a revenue code mostly designed back in the 1950s. Yet Governor Bashir made promises he says he intends to keep, telling us he will put a $2,000 raise for teachers in his budget proposal. Republicans have their own priorities, including funding a school safety bill that they passed last year, and both say they remain committed to adequately funding state pensions. Senate President Robert Stivers joins us. He controls the flow of legislation in the upper chamber of the legislature, and he represents a district in southeastern Kentucky. Thank you for coming, sir. We appreciate it. Glad to be here. Hope you're enjoying the holidays. Uh, not yet, but we will soon. Um, how will you work uh, with, uh, with Governor Bashir, who says he will lead with an extended hand? Well, I think that's a good attitude to take to start with. Um, and that's truly, I believe, the attitude that people want. Uh, we can sit here and we can try to be partisan. And I think when you look at Washington, and there's a lot of differences, I'm not being critical, but um, when everybody goes home to their home state and doesn't see anybody and doesn't have the personal connections, uh, it makes it for a more difficult atmosphere in Washington. I think it's a little more of a home feel because uh, we see each other. We, we, not just in the political realm of Washington or Frankfurt, but back home. And, so it's a good good way to start, and I think that's the way I think most people want us to work. And you see the challenges for what they are uh, as well. Uh, let's uh, talk about a few. First of all, what will be your highest priority for this legislative session? Well, there may be specific legislation, but the budget always has yeah. to be because that's the ultimate policy document, and that will start in the House, and that's what makes the state go. Um, you mentioned earlier we're going to have to make sure we take care of the needs in the school safety bill. We're going to have to deal with opioid problems. Uh, both of those link back to schools, or at least the opioid problem links back to schools. And another big problem we have in the state and at the county level are jails. And this whole issue about uh, justice reform, restorative justice, second chances. Governor Bashir promised a $2,000 raise for state teachers. He also told us very recently he will be putting that in his budget proposal that he sends to the legislature. Will that pass? Well, I don't know. Um, nobody, you know, when people say, well, are you pro-education or pro-public schools? I think everybody is. It's just a method and manner of how you complete that. I don't think anybody's opposed to the pay increase. The question becomes, as you mentioned in a tight budget time, where do we find the money to do it? Do you believe the state needs more revenue uh, to do the things that, uh, that folks want to see done over the next two years? Well, again, uh, do we need more dollars? Yes, but how do we do it? Uh, I can give you a for instance. Uh, always talked about expanding the base. You know, I think most people know that the bourbon industry is doing really well. 
we actually cut $12 million in taxes when we repealed the ad valorem tax. Uh, 2013, I think we were generating a little less than $100 million. Now because it has just boomed and done well because we've removed a lot of restrictions, we're getting over $160 million in revenue because the industry has grown. That's the way I want to ultimately try to grow our revenues by creating more jobs, more opportunity, uh, increasing people's take-home pay. Uh, and that, that's, but do we need because of pension obligations, because of health care obligations, we're going to have to figure out what our priorities are and where we're going to come up with the money to do those things. As you know, Governor Bashir once expanded casino gaming. Uh, Republican leaders, uh, including yourself, have called that dead on arrival. Uh, we have gambling on horses. We have a state lottery, historical racing. Polling shows Kentuckians want to have their voices heard on casinos. They would like to vote on a constitutional amendment. Every poll in the last 15 years has said that. But where do you stand now? I am not for land-based casino gaming. Uh, it's what economists will call a zero-sum game. It is not something that has synergies in it that everybody starts uh, participating and everybody starts having some money. One person wins, one person loses, and you're going to just tax those losses. I don't think that's a good economic model. Second, I don't think it will generate the dollars that, that people forecast. And third, there is no constitutional prohibition against land-based casino gaming. It would take a statutory change, and that's all. Uh, even though former Attorney General, former legislator Greg Stumbo, and I don't see eye to eye on many things, we both agree that there's nothing in the Constitution which prohibits gaming. So you believe that if uh, this governor could convince a majority of the House and Senate to uh, uh, vote for casino gaming, that it could come to him, he could sign it, and it would be the law? Yes. And that is probably surprising to a lot of people. I've been pretty consistent in my position for years, and I think the former speaker, former attorney general has been too. Uh, tell me where in the Constitution there's a prohibition. Now, there, when the lottery came in, there was a question because there was a passage about lots in reference to something that came out of Louisiana, the Napoleonic Code. Now, I know we're getting into the weeds, yeah. but that prohibition is not there because if it were, then we wouldn't have parimutuel wagering at all our horse tracks. Why do you believe there is this disconnect between, you know, when the, the question is polled with the public, and it, you, it's, oftentimes it's close to 70%, but it is saying that they, they want to vote on it, uh, and, and you say that that's unnecessary. If, if you would put a question out, would you want to vote on this issue, whatever that issue is, issue A or issue B or issue C, you'd see there would be overwhelming support to vote for that issue. Doesn't mean they're going to be voting yes or no, but that's not our form of government. It is a representative government. Uh, you also have, uh, have called for an investigation of the pardons issued by former Governor Matt Bevan. Uh, how do you feel about those pardons? Well, there was, and there's been what I would say a fairly accurate assessment through the media that the way they were done, the speed for which they were done, the lack of information obtained from prosecutors, police officers, and victims. Uh, raise a lot of questions. Uh, if I were the former governor uh, in the position that he has stated, I've not talked directly to him, I would welcome an investigation to say, look, there's nothing criminal here, 
uh, maybe bad judgment, which I think a lot of people believe there was extremely bad judgment, some appearances, but that in and of itself needs to be looked at because we have seen what people believe is a system that is antiquated where by constitution only the governor has the power to pardon or commute a sentence. Is that really what we want? So an investigation is a little bit bigger and more broad than just what most people perceive it to be. Republican Senator Chris McDaniel indicates an interest in putting forth a constitutional amendment, which you know it would take to make this change, uh, that would pare back the uh, the power of the governor to, on his or her own, mm -hmm. uh, do uh, pardons. Uh, would you be supportive? Actually, I'm supportive of concept. Actually, I might want to go a little bit further. Uh, we are researching what other states do. Uh, the governor, that is a enumerated power in the Constitution that only the governor has, much like the president. But should we have a commission that would maybe recommend those to the governor? What else can we do as a, as a buffer to make sure we don't get into situations that people think, wait a minute, this should not have been done. There should have been more investigation. There should have been a process. So I'm, I'm appreciative of Chris. I like the direction he's going. Uh, if that's as far as we can get, fine. Uh, but I may want to go a little bit further. In other words, you do not think it should be the sole judgment of the, of the governor? I think it should be tempered somewhat. Yes, it's a remedy at the very end. It's uh, an extreme remedy and should only be done in certain and limited situations. Uh, Mr. President, you have also said that you want to look into the state's legal settlement with Purdue Pharma over the opioid crisis. Uh, do you think Kentucky should have gotten more money? Without a doubt. I have no doubt whatsoever. Plus, the fact that they have declared bankruptcy and we only get, potentially only getting two-thirds of what the negotiated settlement is, that's the breach of the agreement. They agreed to pay X number of dollars, I think around $25 million. Uh, we are not going to get that much. So why can we not go back into court, move to set aside that agreement, and get into the national master settlement that's out there? Secondly, the attorney fee was paid up front. But we're only getting about getting about two thirds of what we should. Should the attorney fee? Should we be able to recoup at least a third of that attorney fee? Because we are not getting what was negotiated by the attorneys who represented it, represented us, and so should they get the extent of the fee they got? Uh, do you have a, a ballpark figure of what you think we should have gotten from the settlement? And did we did we pay a penalty by going early? Uh, with our, our lawsuit? I think there was a serious problem in the calculation of where we are when we get 25 million in Oklahoma who has as a sister state who has 500,000 less people than we do got 270 million that in and of itself raises questions that's 10 times the amount we got and they do not have nearly the per capita deaths we had from the opioid problem. They don't have nearly the population we do. They've not had nearly the problems overall that we have had, and we got 10 times less than they did. To anybody walking around on the street, I think that's an indicator. We got hurt by a lot of different things. What all they are, 
we don't know, but that's why it should be looked at. Senator McConnell indicates uh, some federal money is coming this way in a new spending bill. President Trump has declared a, an emergency on this uh, issue. Uh, is Kentucky at this point equipped to take on this opioid crisis? As well as we can be. Uh, there are some really good providers out there that are trying to deal with the issue. It is just not an issue of getting somebody into a treatment, but also getting them jobs and opportunity and skills training while they're there. So after a year or so, hopefully they will be able to be employable and not return to the environment from which they came. Uh, a certain sense of self-worth that they're taking care of themselves and their families. Uh, not to separate them from their families, not to create a bigger problem with juveniles or chemically dependent pregnant women or individuals, uh, young children who are being placed in foster care. So it's a holistic approach that I see a lot of providers taking and looking at and I think we're about as well equipped as we can be under the circumstances that currently exist. You mentioned this problem with overcrowded jails and in some cases it's <clears throat> to the point that uh, you know Madison County is selling off property raising some local taxing, considering the possibility they could uh, could have a bankruptcy situation uh, down the road. Uh, do you see uh, an improvement coming in the, in, the, in the overcrowded jail situation? Does the state have an obligation to help? I think so in a way because most of these individuals are what we call a pre-adjudication uh, holdy or detainee, and that's prior to any type of judgment or conviction. We need to look at, again, alternatives. Uh, let's, Bill, let's put it this way. I'll use myself. Is Robert Stivers a person who's profiteering off the system? That type of person's different than Bill Bryant, who for some odd set of circumstances or a bad series of luck um, got hooked on drugs. But for the addiction, you could be a viable, productive citizen, taking care of your family, working every day, two different classes so of criminals. So it sounds like you're for bail reform then. I think we could look at some things. I'm not sure about bail reform, but looking, and it would be bail reform, looking at diversions and assessments up front to see what these people are. Do they need to be incarcerated or do they need to be treated? And we are with Senate President Robert Stivers on Kentucky Newsmakers. What are his other priorities for the upcoming session of the General Assembly? We'll ask him about a couple of questions from his district when we come right back. Welcome back to WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers, and we are today visiting with the President of the Kentucky Senate. He's a Republican, Robert Stivers, who represents Clay County and several other counties there in the southeastern Kentucky. We'll ask him about a couple of the issues in his district in a moment. But first, uh, your priorities for this session. Uh, if you had to name Senate Bill 1 today, what would it be? Well, we talked about this earlier, and it's all related to some budget constraints, but truly, we see this new world of research and medical research and technology where you're hearing about tissue regeneration and, and what we do with various types of biosimilars. I would love to create a different type of atmosphere with UK and UofL going after these big research dollars that bring in the high paying jobs that have the hope and opportunity of extending life. Uh, Dr. Philip Tibbs over at UK, uh, this brain injury research, you know, spinal cord and tissue regeneration. I would really like to try to set up the initial mechanism to create that between UK and UofL where they're really going after those big time research dollars and could potentially help 
a family member or somebody like that in the future. So you would like that to be Senate Bill 1 if the numbers are there in, if, in the budget? If, if we have the dollars to do it. We, we, we are very small on that area in contribution. I would like to really bump it up and broaden the spectrum for which the research is performed. Do you expect vaping to receive a lot of attention in this uh, session? You know, uh, suddenly another health problem out there. I think vaping is going to receive a lot of attention. It's probably a lot of attention the public wants that vaping doesn't want. School safety funding, you've touched on that, but you will see that that's in the budget? Yeah, there's, there's going to be certain components in there. Um, some of the things we don't have the capacity to do, all the things that have, were, came out in the report, uh, we will start working towards building that capacity. It's going to be a multi-year function. Other things that you'll be interested in seeing pass this session? Well, going back, we're, I don't know what we're going to do, but dealing with uh, this opioid crisis, uh, also gets into something that I think a lot of people have been very fond of and very working towards is this um, adoption process and what we're doing for uh, those homes that hold children on a temporary basis. That's something that David Mead has worked on. I think both chambers are very interested in. Uh, that's going to be one of the bigger issues, I think, coming out of the House. Uh, we're also going to look at um, some of the things related to sanctuary cities, or, or this component of where I think the couriers run some articles about the illegal drugs coming in through our borders. We're going to have to do some issue, deal with some issues like that. Um, but those are the, those are we've hit big issues that are floating around out there so far. In your district in uh, southeastern Kentucky, uh, Keeneland has wanted to open a quarter horse track uh, to be called Cumberland Run, and mm -hmm. they've been uh, hoping to do that for some time. Uh, but they need some uh, some movement uh, from the state and locals to get that done. Are you uh, uh, in league with them? I, I, I hope that happens. There's always things, and, and at times you feel very optimistic, and it's been kind of a peaks and valleys situation. Um, you don't know about because you have to have one of the certificates or licenses, if they can get that license that would allow them to operate and get in the financial dynamics in place. Uh, but hopefully that would occur because I think it would be a really big boost to our region. And then the city of Corbin, uh, which uh, considers itself to be in three counties, but in reality is only in two, and then there's an area of North Corbin which is unincorporated. Uh, but, uh, you know, when something happens in that very busy area, a very busy interchange along exit 29, the Laurel County Sheriff's Department is responding or uh, other assistance has to come from London. Uh, Corbin says we're right here, we could help, but we can't because it's not in the city. Uh, and they're trying to get uh, some movement on that. Yeah, that, that's a real problem because you know as well, this is your home area as well as my area, uh, right there at the river. Corbin stops and it becomes Laurel County and so jurisdictional issues are have arisen. Um, the city of Corbin provides the the infrastructure, the water and sewer out in that area but it's not part of the city. So there's some proposals out there that would look to see something not in competition with London and Laurel County but in collaboration with London and Laurel County that would make that more hospitable for economic development. Bill, you drive by it, it looks like a desert compared to the very next, any, any one of the exits north or south of it because it's really kind of an orphaned area. And so, uh, you, I mean, would you like to see cities be able to uh, annex into a third county? Is the, if, the if it is question. possible, it is, if it is possible in conjunction with the local 
legislative body, which would be done by the fiscal court. There's been some proposed legislation we've talked about, so you don't lose tax base or revenue. It would be a hold harmless situation. So some people say, well, if they move in, do we lose our tax base? No, you would set a floor that you could never go below. So it would, uh, as I said, a hold harmless provision. And then from there, how you split the revenues that are generated by new jobs and new investment. Complicated issue. It is, without a doubt. Interesting year next year. Does the fact that it's an election year, uh, you know, nationally and locally and in, in the legislative races uh, uh, kind of make everything more complicated? Well, it will. And, and you, can't, you can't avoid the political dynamic in making policy decisions. Uh, because if you're not here, you don't get to make the policy decisions. So there will be some uh, assessment uh, to see what people, uh, their, their political uh, livelihood is or their political peril may be or not be. And that will be taken into consideration by everybody involved, uh, Republican, Democrat, House, Senate, and the governor's office. Senate President Robert Stivers, we really appreciate you coming by. Glad to. And we hope you'll stay with us. We'll wrap up Kentucky Newsmakers in a moment. Good morning from WKYT News, and we welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers. I'm Bill Bryant. As we close out the year, lawmakers are getting ready to come to Frankfurt for the 60-day regular session of the General Assembly. Senate President Robert Stivers is here with us today. It'll be an interesting session. Republicans hold supermajorities in both the House and the Senate, and Democratic Governor Andy Beshear is now in charge of the executive branch. In that delicate balance, lawmakers will try to work out a state budget for the next two years in a commonwealth where many say there are more needs than revenue. Even in a thriving national economy, Kentucky's revenue hasn't budged much with a revenue code mostly designed back in the 1950s. Yet Governor Bashir made promises he says he intends to keep, telling us he will put a $2,000 raise for teachers in his budget proposal. Republicans have their own priorities, including funding a school safety bill that they passed last year, and both say they remain committed to adequately funding state pensions. Senate President Robert Stivers joins us. He controls the flow of legislation in the upper chamber of the legislature, and he represents a district in southeastern Kentucky. Thank you for coming, sir. We appreciate it. Glad to be here. Hope you're enjoying the holidays. Uh, not yet, but <laughs> we will soon. Um, how will you work uh, with, uh, with Governor Bashir, who says he will lead with an extended hand? Well, I think that's a good attitude to take to start with. Um, and that's truly, I believe, the attitude that people want. Uh, we can sit here and we can try to be partisan. And I think when you look at Washington, and there's a lot of differences, I'm not being critical, but um, when everybody goes home to their home state and doesn't see anybody and doesn't have the personal connections, uh, it makes it for a more difficult atmosphere in Washington. I think it's a little more of a home feel because uh, we see each other. We, we not just in the political realm of Washington or Frankfurt, but back home. And, so it's a good good way to start, and I think that's the way I think most people want us to work. And you see the challenges for what they are uh, as well. Uh, let's uh, talk about a few. First of all, what will be your highest priority for this legislative session? Well, there may be specific legislation, but the budget always has yeah. to be because that's the ultimate policy document, and that will start in the House, and that's what makes the state go. Um, 
you mentioned earlier, we're going to have to make sure we take care of the needs in the school safety bill. We're going to have to deal with opioid problems. Uh, both of those link back to schools, or at least the opioid problem links back to schools. And another big problem we have in the state and at the county level are jails and this whole issue about uh, justice reform, restorative justice, second chances. Governor Bashir promised a $2,000 raise for state teachers. He also told us very recently he will be putting that in his budget proposal that he sends to the legislature. Will that pass? Well, I don't know. Um, nobody, you know, when people say, well, are you pro-education or pro-public schools? I think everybody is. It's just a method and manner of how you complete that. I don't think anybody's opposed to the pay increase. The question becomes, as you mentioned, in a tight budget time, where do we find the money to do it? Do you believe the state needs more revenue uh, to do the things that, uh, that folks want to see done over the next two years? Well, again, uh, do we need more dollars? Yes, but how do we do it? Uh, I can give you a, for instance, uh, always talked about expanding the base. You know, I think most people know that the bourbon industry is doing really well. We actually cut $12 million in taxes when we repealed the ad valorem tax. Uh, 2013, I think we were generating a little less than $100 million. Now because it has just boomed and done well because we've removed a lot of restrictions, we're getting over $160 million in revenue because the industry has grown. That's the way I want to ultimately try to grow our revenues by creating more jobs, more opportunity, uh, increasing people's take-home pay. Uh, and that, that's, but do we need because of pension obligations, because of health care obligations, we're going to have to figure out what our priorities are and where we're going to come up with the money to do those things. As you know, Governor Bashir once expanded casino gaming. Uh, Republican leaders, uh, including yourself, have called that dead on arrival. Uh, we have gambling on horses. <laughs> we have a state lottery, historical racing. Polling shows Kentuckians want to have their voices heard on casinos. They would like to vote on a constitutional amendment. Every poll in the last 15 years has said that. But where do you stand now? I am not for land-based casino gaming. Uh, it's what economists will call a zero-sum game. It is not something that has synergies in it that everybody starts uh, participating and everybody starts having some money. One person wins, one person loses, and you're going to just tax those losses. I don't think that's a good economic model. Second, I don't think it will generate the dollars that, that people forecast. And third, there is no constitutional prohibition against land-based casino gaming. It would take a statutory change, and that's all. Uh, even though former Attorney General, former legislator Greg Stumbo, and I don't see eye to eye on many things, we both agree that there's nothing in the Constitution which prohibits gaming. So you believe that if uh, this governor could convince a majority of the House and Senate to uh, uh, vote for casino gaming, that it could come to him, he could sign it, and it would be the law? Yes. And that is probably surprising to a lot of people. I've been pretty consistent in my position for years, and I think the former speaker, former attorney general has been too. Uh, tell me where in the Constitution there's a prohibition. Now, there, when the lottery came in, there was a question because there was a passage about lots in reference to something that came out of Louisiana, the Napoleonic Code. Now, I know we're getting into the weeds, <laughs> but that prohibition is not there because if it were, then we wouldn't have pair mutual wagering 
at all our horse tracks. Why do you believe there is this disconnect between, you know, when the, the question is polled with the public, and it, you, it's, oftentimes it's close to 70 percent, but it is saying that they, they want to vote on it, uh, and, and you say that that's unnecessary. If, if you would put a question out would you want to vote on this issue, whatever that issue is, issue A or issue B or issue C, you'd see there would be overwhelming support to vote for that issue. Doesn't mean they're going to be voting yes or no, but that's not our form of government. It is a representative government. Uh, you also have, uh, have called for an investigation of the pardons issued by former Governor Matt Bevan. Uh, how do you feel about those pardons? Well, there was, and there's been what I would say a fairly accurate assessment through the media that the way they were done, the speed for which they were done, the lack of information obtained from prosecutors, police officers, and victims. Uh, raise a lot of questions. Uh, if I were the former governor uh, in the position that he has stated, I've not talked directly to him, I would welcome an investigation to say, look, there's nothing criminal here, uh, maybe bad judgment, which I think a lot of people believe there was extremely bad judgment, some appearances, but that in and of itself needs to be looked at because we have seen what people believe is a system that is antiquated where by Constitution only, the governor has the power to pardon or commute a sentence. Is that really what we want? So an investigation is a little bit bigger and more broad than just what most people perceive it to be. Republican Senator Chris McDaniel indicates an interest in putting forth a constitutional amendment, which you know it would take to make this change, uh, that would pare back the uh, the power of the governor to, on his or her own, mm -hmm. uh, do uh, pardons. Uh, would you be supportive? Actually, I'm supportive of concept. Actually, I might want to go a little bit further. Uh, we are researching what other states do. Uh, the governor, that is a enumerated power in the Constitution that only the governor has, much like the president. But should we have a commission that would maybe recommend those to the governor? What else can we do as a, as a buffer to make sure we don't get into situations that people think, wait a minute, this should not have been done. There should have been more investigation. There should have been a process. So I'm, I'm appreciative of Chris. I like the direction he's going. Uh, if that's as far as we can get, fine. Uh, but I may want to go a little bit further. In other words, you do not think it should be the sole judgment of the, of the governor? I think it should be tempered somewhat. Yes, it's a remedy at the very end. It's uh, an extreme remedy and should only be done in certain and limited situations. Uh, Mr. President, you have also said that you want to look into the state's legal settlement with Purdue Pharma over the opioid crisis. Uh, do you think Kentucky should have gotten more money? Without a doubt. I have no doubt whatsoever. Plus, the fact that they have declared bankruptcy and we only get, potentially only getting two-thirds of what the negotiated settlement is, that's the breach of the agreement. They agreed to pay X number of dollars, I think around $25 million. Uh, we are not going to get that much. So why can we not go back into court, move to set aside that agreement, and get into the national master settlement that's out there? Secondly, the attorney fee was paid up front. But we're only getting about getting about two-thirds of what we should. Should the attorney fee, should we be a 
able to recoup at least a third of that attorney fee because we are not getting what was negotiated by the attorneys who represented it, represented us, and so should they get the extent of the fee they got. Uh, do you have a, a ballpark figure of what you think we should have gotten uh, from the settlement? And did we, did we pay a penalty by going early uh, w with our, our lawsuit? I think there was a serious problem in the calculation of where we are when we get 25 million and Oklahoma who has as a sister state who has 500,000 less people than we do got 270 million that in and of itself raises questions that's 10 times the amount we got and they do not have nearly the per capita deaths we had from the opioid problem. They don't have nearly the population we do. They've not had nearly the problems overall that we have had and we got 10 times less than they did. To anybody walking around on the street, I think that's an indicator. We got hurt by a lot of different things. What all they are, we don't know, but that's why it should be looked at. Senator McConnell indicates uh, some federal money is coming this way in a new spending bill. President Trump has declared a, an emergency on this uh, issue. Uh, is Kentucky at this point equipped to take on this opioid crisis? As well as we can be. Uh, there are some really good providers out there that are trying to deal with the issue. It is just not an issue of getting somebody into a treatment, but also getting them jobs and opportunity and skills training while they're there. So after a year or so, hopefully they will be able to be employable and not return to the environment from which they came. Uh, a certain sense of self-worth that they're taking care of themselves and their families, uh, not to separate them from their families, not to create a bigger problem with juveniles or chemically dependent pregnant women, or individuals, uh, young children, who are being placed in foster care. So it's a holistic approach that I see a lot of providers taking and looking at, and I think we're about as well equipped as we can be under the circumstances that currently exist. You mentioned this problem with overcrowded jails, and in some cases it's <laughs> to the point that, uh, you know, Madison County's selling off property, raising some local taxing, considering the possibility they could, uh, could have a bankruptcy situation uh, down the road. Uh, do you see uh, an improvement coming in the, in, the, in the overcrowded jail situation? Does the state have an obligation to help? I think so in a way because most of these individuals are what we call a pre-adjudication uh, holdy or detainee and that's prior to any type of judgment or conviction. We need to look at, again, alternatives. Uh, let's, Bill, let's put it this way. I'll use myself. Is Robert Stivers a person who's profiteering off the system? That type of person's different than Bill Bryant, who for some odd set of circumstances or a bad series of luck, um, got hooked on drugs. But for the addiction, you could be a viable, productive citizen, taking care of your family, working every day, two different classes so of criminals. So it sounds like you're for bail reform then. I think we could look at some things. I'm not sure about bail reform, but looking, and, I, and it would be bail reform, looking at diversions and assessments up front to see what these people are. Do they need to be incarcerated or do they need to be treated? And we are with Senate President Robert Stivers on Kentucky Newsmakers. What are his other priorities for the upcoming session of the General Assembly? We'll ask him about a couple of questions uh, from his district when we come right back. 
Welcome back to WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers, and we are today visiting with the president of the Kentucky Senate. He's a Republican, Robert Stivers, who represents Clay County and several other counties there in the southeastern Kentucky. We'll ask him about a couple of the issues in his district in a moment. But first, uh, your priorities for this session. Uh, if you had to name Senate Bill 1 today, what would it be? Well, we talked about this earlier, and it's all related to some budget constraints, but truly, we see this new world of research and medical research and technology where you're hearing about tissue regeneration and, and what we do with various types of biosimilars. I would love to create a different type of atmosphere with UK and UofL going after these big research dollars that bring in the high paying jobs that have the hope and opportunity of extending life. Uh, Dr. Philip Tibbs over at UK, uh, this brain injury research, you know, spinal cord and tissue regeneration. I would really like to try to set up the initial mechanism to create that between UK and UofL where they're really going after those big time research dollars and could potentially help a family member or somebody like that in the future. So you would like that to be Senate Bill 1 if the numbers are there if, in the budget? If, if we have the dollars to do it. We, we, we are very small on that area in contribution. I would like to really bump it up and broaden the spectrum for which the research is performed. Do you expect vaping to receive a lot of attention in this uh, session? Uh, you know, uh, suddenly another health problem out there. I think vaping is going to receive a lot of attention. It's probably a lot of attention the public wants that vaping doesn't want. School safety funding, you've touched on that, but you will see that that's in the budget? Yeah, there's, there's going to be certain components in there. Um, some of the things, we don't have the capacity to do all the things that have were, came out in the report. Uh, we will start working towards building that capacity. It's going to be a multi-year function. Other things that you'll be interested in uh, seeing pass uh, this session? Well, going back, we're, I don't know what we're going to do, but dealing with uh, this opioid crisis, uh, also gets into something that I think a lot of people have been very fond of and very working towards is this um, adoption process and what we're doing for uh, those homes that hold children on a temporary basis. That's something that David Mead has worked on. I think both chambers are very interested in. Uh, that's going to be one of the bigger issues, I think, coming out of the House. Uh, we're also going to look at um, some of the things related to sanctuary cities, or, or this component of where I think the couriers run some articles about the illegal drugs coming in through our borders. We're going to have to do some issue, deal with some issues like that. Um, but those are the, those are we've hit big issues that are floating around out there so far. In your district in uh, southeastern Kentucky, uh, Keeneland has wanted to open a quarter horse track uh, to be called Cumberland Run, and mm -hmm. they've been uh, hoping to do that for some time. Uh, but they need some uh, some movement uh, from the state and locals to get that done. Are you uh, uh, in league with them? I, I, I hope that happens. There's always things, and, and at times you feel very optimistic, and it's been kind of a peaks and valleys situation. Um, you don't know about because you have to have one of the certificates or licenses, if they can get that license that would allow them to operate and getting the financial dynamics in place. Uh, but hopefully that would occur because I think it would be a really big boost to our region. And then the city of Corbin, uh, which uh, considers itself to be in three counties, but in reality is only in two. And then there's an area of North Corbin, which is unincorporated. 
but uh, you know, when something happens in that very busy area, a very busy interchange along exit 29, the Laurel County Sheriff's Department is responding or uh, other assistance has to come from London. Uh, Corbin says we're right here, we could help, but we can't because it's not in the city. Uh, and they're trying to get uh, some movement on that. Yeah, that, that's a real problem because you know as well, this is your home area as well as my area. Uh, right there at the river, Corbin stops and it becomes Laurel County. And so jurisdictional issues are, have arisen. Um, the city of Corbin provides the, the infrastructure, the water and sewer out in that area, but it's not part of the city. So there's some proposals out there that would look to see something not in competition with London and Laurel County, but in collaboration with London and Laurel County that would make that more hospitable for economic development. Bill, you drive by it, it looks like a desert compared to the very next, any, any one of the exits north or south of it because it's really kind of an orphaned area. And so, uh, you, I mean, would you like to see cities be able to uh, annex into a third county? Is the, if, the if it is question. possible, it is, if it is possible, in conjunction with the local legislative body, which would be done by the fiscal court. There's been some proposed legislation we've talked about, so you don't lose tax base or revenue. It would be a hold harmless situation. So some people say, well, if they move in, do we lose our tax base? No, you would set a floor that you could never go below. So it would, uh, as I said, a hold harmless provision. And then from there, how you split the revenues that are generated by new jobs and new investment. Complicated issue. It is, without a doubt. <laughs> Interesting year next year. Does the fact that it's an election year, uh, you know, <laughs> nationally and locally and in, in the legislative races uh, uh, kind of make everything more complicated. Well, it will, and and you can't you can't avoid the political dynamic in making policy decisions uh, because if you're not here, you don't get to make the policy decisions. So there will be some uh, assessment uh, to see what people uh, their their political uh, livelihood is or their political peril may be or not be and that will be taken into consideration by everybody involved, uh, Republican, Democrat, House, Senate, and the Governor's Office. Senate President Robert Stivers, we really appreciate you coming by. Glad to. And we hope you'll stay with us. We'll wrap up Kentucky Newsmakers in a moment. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers, and I have the honor now of coming to you from the <laughs> First Alert Weather Center. <laughs> you know, we are coming out of an amazingly warm Christmas week in Kentucky, now headed for big changes in the uh, new year ahead, the week that uh, it, we're now beginning. Mm -hmm. WKYT Chief Meteorologist Chris Bailey here to explain what is going on with this weather. I mean, it was crazy, right? T-shirt weather, Christmas <laughs> Eve, Christmas Day, and the days thereafter. You know, I was out on, on Christmas Day, and for the first time on Christmas Day, I could smell people who were cooking out, yeah. who were grilling right. out. Absolutely. And it was crazy. It turned out to be the second warmest Christmas day on record in Lexington and really most of eastern Kentucky. If folks remember, it was 1982 that we hit 70 plus into most of central and eastern Kentucky and parts of uh, eastern Kentucky were flirting with 80 degrees on Christmas wow. day, 1982. So as warm as this one was, it still came in as a distant second. For it many. sounds like it did, uh, but uh, you know you can't get used to a pattern no, like that. Can't. So I guess we shouldn't. Right? No, we shouldn't. And we're going to go into <laughs> January. Obviously, it's our coldest time of the year. Anyway, you get into January, February, you change it up. But I think it's if you look back at 2019 that we're wrapping up now. 
it is appropriate that we had some really extreme weather in the final full week of the year, given how extreme not only the year was, but we're wrapping up a decade yeah. of extreme weather, we really too. Did. We had a lot of uh, occurrences over the last uh, 10 years. If you just remember. think about it in a, from a temperature perspective for Lexington, this decade we hit 105 degrees for the hottest temperature, third hottest temperature ever recorded in Lexington, and we also hit 18 below zero in the same decade that was less than three years after hitting 105, <laughs> and that was the third coldest temperature ever recorded. It's a range, isn't it? It is quite the range, so it stands to reason that this was a very extreme decade. And, you know, we look back on this, and the one thing that really is going to stand out from this decade, the March 2nd tornadoes yeah. back in 2012. Devastating tornadoes. Uh, look at the map here to show you all those tornadoes that hit across central and eastern Kentucky, and you had those tornadoes into parts of eastern Kentucky, the West Liberty tornado, the Salyersville tornado. Those uh, were killer tornadoes that were among the strongest twisters ever recorded east of Interstate 75, and those occurred within an hour of one another. East Bernstadt, obviously a community that was devastated, northern Kentucky around the Crittenden area. But uh, March 2nd for me, back in 2012, is the number one by far for the most extreme mm -hmm. events of this past decade. And the thing I'll never forget about that weekend is that after that, snow uh, then right. the next day. That was a, March 2nd was a Friday. And then on Sunday, into Sunday night, we had five inches of snow, yeah. which was the most snow for that entire winter. And March of 2012 also turned into the hottest March on record in Lexington and most of central and eastern Kentucky, but it also had one of the snowiest as well. And speaking of snow, that goes down as my number two event for yeah. the decade. And when the, was that? We had three historic snowstorms that were back to back for two of them. And then 11 months later, we had another one. 2015, February 2015, the end of the month, we had that almost two-foot snowstorm. Then early March, we did it again. Right. Two weeks later. Uh, right. And then in January of 2016, we had another one to two-foot snowstorm. So that's the first time we'd ever yeah. had two in the same year, let alone three in, a, in less than a year. What else about that decade just uh, stands out to you? The decade is, I mean, think of this. The flat gap flooding in Johnson County that was just disastrous, killed yeah. a lot of people. Right. The 105 degree temp, we hit seven 100 degree days in 2012. Mm -hmm. Seven in roughly a two-week period. That's the third hottest stretch ever recorded in Lexington. So it's been just an extreme of uh, decade, no matter how you slice yeah. it. Uh, and the wettest year on record yeah. was 2018. You and Jim Caldwell, uh, meteorologist, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, talk about that. Uh, and, uh, and you're going to have specifically one where you look yeah. back at the decade of podcast. Yeah, we'll have right? our Kentucky Weather Podcast out uh, in the coming days, looking back at our top ten extreme events of the decade and we're going to break those down in detail and some folks may say well I think I would have put this one a little higher or this one mm -hmm. a little lower but it's all about your perspective we'll throw some honorable mentions in there as well. well that'll be a good listen you know for folks uh, on their schedule. Yeah and here we are beginning this new decade. I was we'll see. Say, let's as we go back to the future yeah, now yeah. let's talk about <laughs> I mean January and February typically mm -hmm. are our coldest months. They really are and you look back I keep looking back for people that say okay well December was warm there's no mm -hmm. chance well come on we've seen that this mild winter we've yeah. seen this before <laughs> uh, you know I, I was posting on some of my blogs earlier this week uh, December 1984 we were 
9, 10 degrees above normal, one of the hottest December's on record. Then we hit January 1st, it was almost 70 degrees. We didn't get above 40 for the next six weeks and we had more than two feet of snow yeah. in January and February go. of 85. You know, we still don't uh, talk much about dustings around here. Thank you, 1997. Yeah, right? yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> Th thankfully, that was before my time. So <laughs> Just so, before your just time. Just before my time. I got in right after that one. Yeah, we call them coatings now, all right? The word Better dusting word. is banned. Yeah. All right. Uh, Chris, thank you so much. You bet, Appreciate buddy. it. We want to thank you for joining us for this edition of Kentucky Newsmakers, and we'll see you bright and early this week on WKYT this morning, Chris in the evenings, and you make it a good week ahead and a happy new year.